welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. I'm so excited to be blasting through your headphones, through your car, through your laptop, wherever you are. And really, I'm so excited today because I have Soul Brother Bessie on again. And this is going to be amazing. We're just going to free flow like we're talking on the phone, two old buddies just hanging out. So get ready for some crazy ass shit. And uh, yeah, Johnny, if you want to introduce yourself and uh, really just let people know if they haven't listened to the other episodes, like what you're up to and, and who you are. All right. Yeah, man. Well, uh, hello, everybody. Again, uh, my name is Johnny, Soul Brother Bessie. Uh, yeah, Thomas and I have been best friends since, you know, four or five years old. Uh, I live in Seattle. I'm a landscaper. I have my own uh, kind of permaculture inspired organic landscape company, um, just kind of helping people get their, you know, their personal space right, make sure everybody's uh, enjoying their yards. Um, yeah, I, I'm just happy to be here. And, uh, you know, if you haven't heard the other podcast, you should probably check them out. Heck yeah, man. So, so how you been holding up? You know, uh, I really don't want to talk about everything going on just yet, you know, but <laughs> really like how you been doing, man? I've actually been pretty good, man. Um, yeah, I've been hanging in there. Uh, for me, things haven't changed too much. I'm, I'm pretty introverted. You know, I like to kind of hang out at my house and putz around in my garden and, uh, you know, over here in Washington, we've been pretty tightly locked down, but I'm a solo gardener and so i i am exempt from the stay-at-home orders so i've still been working um business slowed down a little bit but for me things haven't changed too much so i've been hanging in there pretty well you know um you know i've been finding been finding it necessary to kind of access my zen spot in my mind a little more frequently but it's kind of been a nice reminder to hit those paths you know right man seriously and uh you know i felt like I've been thinking about psychedelics a lot lately and not um, like I've been scared of psychedelics, not because I had a bad experience, but because my own like natural DMT release that happened to me a couple of years ago. But I find myself like slowly be like, yeah, you know, psilocybin does like is interesting. So that means maybe in like another five years, I'll be ready. Um, but like, I just want to, like, we've talked about psychedelics so many times, like with just me and you. And, and I think it's important to like really raise awareness of how amazing they are for your mind and your body and your spirit really, because, you know, for me, I think the most transformational experiences of my entire life have been psilocybin or like natural DMT meditation things. And that's completely changed my life on like all levels, like every single time. What do you think, man? Oh, I mean, my wife gets a little, her eyes roll a little bit every time I say this, but I honestly believe, you know, my experiences with psilocybin and meditation, particularly the two combined uh, back in the day, were the most important experiences in my life. It shaped kind of who I am. You know, it, uh, it, it helped me get that door opened to, you know, and I was lucky enough that I was kind of, you know, through you already experiencing, you know, Zen meditation, you know, at the Zen center and learning about kind of how to achieve that mindfulness naturally. Um, but it really does. I, I honestly believe it's, there's something in it, particularly, you know, I most, most, most of my experiences with psilocybin and uh, it just, 
it takes that, you know, years of meditative practice and kind of condenses it into one night where it just you blast off and it completely tears down your preconceived notions of the world and allows you to be more open and understanding. And you, you see that the way you see the world is actually just kind of a construct of your mind. And it allows you to then go forward in meditative practices and realize that you have, they basically you don't know anything, you know, you have to kind of reconstruct yourself. And I think it's utterly important to do those things and make sure that you can understand that uh, we don't really understand a whole lot of what's going on and kind of going through our life thinking we understand is, is a detriment almost. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I've been doing with my clients and breakthrough sessions and MER and, um, you know, the mental emotional release and how you truly release those negative emotions and limiting beliefs. I think, you know, in my mind, I think ceremonial or in a clinical setting, like psilocybin can be, you know, just a different avenue for that same thing. And like, like you're saying, you, you almost lose your identity to the point where that's, that's really scary for some people, but that's kind of what has to happen for you to be able to let go of all that baggage and negative emotions and hurt and resentment that you have around the world or for people in your life. And it's like the psilocybin, like truly lets you drop that stuff, drop that baggage. And, and like you're saying, like, move forward without that identity and that's that sounds scary you know to lose your identity but really like rebuilding your identity is is one of the most powerful things you could ever do right yeah i mean it's you know it's the classic ego death that you know they talk about in shamanic traditions and basically any tradition you can think of that deals with kind of a more you know rigorous spiritual like uh bettering of oneself talks about the ego death because really what's going on is you you have this idea of who you are and what you are and what the world is and it's comfortable and it's useful you know in day-to-day life but to really try to break the patterns of being more of a robot if you will uh it's pretty important to break down that uh ego self and make sure that you realize that it's more complicated than that you're not exactly sure what you are but to ask those questions helps you kind of look deeper into the world and um you know it is important too to just challenge yourself things that scare you you should not shy away from necessarily and like you know don't jump off a cliff by any means but uh you know having those kind of rough experiences that are hard to deal with are kind of important and um yeah, and it is important also, I think, like you said, in clinical settings or a more traditional shamanic setting, like, I feel like a lot of bad trips come from people who aren't prepared, don't know what they're getting into, and just kind of wade into the deep pool right off the bat and kind of get freaked out. But if you're prepared for it, it uh, you're more able to kind of handle those um, challenging experiences. Yeah, man. And so uh, I kind of just want to open it up to like, our most like beneficial experiences in life with psilocybin. I think that'd be a really cool story to have here. And, and for me, it was, um, you know, it was actually in high school and we were, um, we went on a camping trip in the Alvord desert. If people know where that is, it's like Southeast Oregon. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like a mini playa that where Burning Man is. It's actually close to there. Right. And we're just out there 
on this mud flat and, and we ate some mushrooms and it was my first experience. And, and I can just remember like the most amazing, like the first thing that happened was like laying on my back, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere looking at the sky and the, the clouds started changing colors and moving. And, you know, I thought that was like, really, like really cool, you know, like, okay, whatever. But then it got really deeper and, you know, I remember like uh, when you look at the playa on the ground, there's these like jigsaw puzzles of mud, right? And the first thing that really started to kick off was like those would like pop off off the ground and like start spinning and then fly away. And that was like, oh, okay, this is getting pretty serious now, right? And then, you know, the next thing was like the the ground started like having swells like the ocean. And uh, there is like seaweed growing out of the ground and like bouncing balls of energy. Um, and it was just like, I was walking on water and like, I'm in the middle of the desert. Right. And I, I feel like I'm walking on the ocean. I'm like in the middle of this ocean. And, um, it was just so, it was really intense. And I think that part was, was like, you know, for a first experiencer, like that was a lot to take in. And, and by the end of the night, I remember the biggest thing that happened was that, you know, at that time, like, I think the book Siddhartha was a really big part of my life. And, and I was laying in the tent and I just remember my body disappearing. And I became like, I became a deer that was, you know, like I became a rock and then I became soil and becoming grass. And then I was eaten by a deer and I became a deer. And then I was like, I went through basically every animal through the entire world. Like I watched my soul move through every animal, every consciousness possible on planet earth. And that's when it hit me. Like that's when the psilocybin truly was teaching me that like, you're not just a human, like you're this spiritual being that this essence is in everything. And that was like, dude, that hit me hard. And that still, that's a core belief for me, like to this day that that's, that's truly the reality is that we're like a spiritual energetic being at the base, at the core. And, and, you know, that was like psilocybin, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, that's powerful, man. And it's, it's true. It's like those experiences are hard to come by otherwise, and they are very important. And, you know, it reminds me, like, I, f- I can't remember, I feel like I've said this maybe on the first episode, but I kind of, uh, one thing that psilocybin has taught me is kind of, you know, a, an analogy for the consciousness being a, a fractal of the whole, you know, where you have the consciousness being the light, the center, and you have a stained glass sphere encasing it. And that each piece of different colored glass is like an ego self, individual consciousness, you know, like we are all different pieces of glass filtering that light that consciousness from the center but the reality is what like what psilocybin can show you especially through meditation on it is that we are just the universe experiencing it's experiencing itself through a different lens and so like yeah you you got to that point where you realize that or you were shown or got to be become different things and realize that consciousness is kind of a universal quality that we're all kind of part of the same whole and that you can then access those nodal points of different ego selves and be an antelope or a deer or another person and like for me psilocybin really helped me understand and like and have compassion for other people because i realized that i am that asshole that cut me off on the street just in another body another experience with different you know past traumas and um 
it's funny you mentioned Siddhartha because I think probably right around the same time I had also my most profound psilocybin experience, which was uh, also kind of Siddhartha um, influenced. You know, I was just reading that book as well. And I was, you know, in our old neighborhood uh, with our buddy Chad and I had just finished the book and it was really profound. I was thinking about it a lot and meditating a lot. And so I ate some mushrooms and there's this stream that goes under a road by, uh, by your house actually over on Tumwater Hill there. And I went down and I sat on the culvert right where the stream comes through and there's a salmon ladder, you know, so you can see the, the little channels of the water as the stream kind of like makes a little path for the salmon to make their way through and get up into the culvert to their spawning grounds. And it was dark, it was nighttime, but it was warm evening and, mushrooms were just kicking in so i sat down right on top of the culvert and crossed my legs and was starting to like meditate get get into my meditative practice focus on my breath and and it really started kicking in i started kind of getting those you know those resonance frequencies almost like the vibrations are starting to come closer together and and i could hear the sound in the in the culvert and like the echoing of things and you know all of a sudden i was i remember that part in siddhartha where he's by the river he's kind of given up on life after becoming a a merchant and and then all of a sudden he hears the sound of the river and he can hear the voice of everything that ever existed in the voice of the river and all of a sudden i heard that i heard a multitude of voices and people crying and chanting and singing and laughing and and animals making noise it was a cacophony of all the existence and i just all of a sudden this peace came over me and i could see the bubbles in the culvert and i noticed all of a sudden i could see the pattern it was almost like i was starting to like access the source code of the simulation if you will and i knew which bubbles were going to go into an eddy and which bubbles were going to go straight and then pretty soon i could see the pattern of the wind blowing through the trees and all of a sudden the like the understanding of the pattern became so immense that it was almost like I couldn't see anything like it is anymore. It was almost like the matrix in a way where everything was, I could see the patterns and it was like these almost mandalas and swirling patterns. And I could see the code of the universe basically. And my consciousness was starting to expand and expand and expand. And I was almost having like an astral projection moment where I was starting to leave my body. And uh, it was funny because this is one of the most, profound experiences but it also terrified me because i had this little as i was elated to go into the stars and see different galaxies and realize that i was part of the whole and i could go anywhere i wanted to back in my mind my ego self kind of like raised its hand and whispered like hey what about me you know and like what if i can't come back to being an individual consciousness that is johnny bessie on the planet earth and i had like a almost a panic attack or just like boom it slammed me back into my body and i was freaked out i was like oh god like it was it was the ego death you know and like but i wasn't quite ready to to fully accept it and so my, my ego just pulled me back into my body but it wasn't bad it was it was beautiful you know and it's okay wasn't quite ready gotta do some more work and then for the rest of that night i could just i could still kind of see the patterns i could see the clouds moving and i kind of would know okay this one's gonna swirl up this one's gonna swirl down you know but I mean, to this day, if I'm having a hard time, I just think about that moment. I take a deep breath and I can kind of access that understanding. And it gets me through, you know, some of the more hard times I struggle with. Such an amazing story. And that really reminds me of like 
how important sacred geometry is to me. It's actually become like an ally, um, a really, I would say probably the most important thing to me spiritually is sacred geometry because of experiences so similar to that, where there's like this fractal of consciousness, fractal of experiences, fractal of everything really that they kind of mushroom into this like uh, mandala or for me, it's like really um, like a Merkaba shape is something that really comes like rings true to me. And, and what's really interesting is I got this tattoo like years and years and years before I really understood sacred geometry. And it's like, it has this, this mandala, like this Merkaba shape. Um, it's like lots of triangles and a third eye on it and like sacred geometry mountains and all this stuff. And, you know, I kind of knew about that stuff, but like years and years later, like now it's so profound because I can use that tattoo to like access that consciousness that you're talking about. And it's like, all I have to do is like unravel that, that pattern onto the rest of my body. And now I can access like sacred geometry and, and all sorts of things like that. And it's, it's just so powerful for me, for me personally that yeah, sacred geometry, there's something behind like the veil that is so important about it. And, and like Ren Carlson and, um, you know, just so many people out there that are the experts and, and you really get into quantum mechanics and physics and all sorts of stuff with sacred geometry. And it's unbelievable, mm-hmm. like how it isn't everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it really is kind of, once you have that experience and you see the patterns of everything, you know, and I also think it's really important that you, everyone's going to experience it slightly differently. You know, we all are individuals with individual experiences and brain chemistry. And, and uh, I feel all too often, like people find what works for them and they have a hard time seeing that what works for someone else, it's different from them. You know, they're like, well, no, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You got to do it this way. And this is the experience. Like, you know, and, and a lot of it is just kind of semantics for the most part, you know, we're all talking about the same thing, you know, like you go into Graham Hancock's book, Supernatural, and he talks about these experiences, you know, be, be it shamanic experience, psychedelic, near death, alien abduction phenomenon, you name it. And they're all kind of talking about the same thing, but everybody's got a different cultural operating system, you know, and, or, and even beyond just cultural, like individual, like everybody experiences words and, and ideas slightly differently because of their past experiences. And so, you know, like for me, like sacred geometry, like that, that word doesn't really resonate with me because I never looked into it, but you know, I know we're talking about the same thing. And so and I do think it is important, you know, to have whatever works for you, like go with it, you know, and everybody's going to be you know, slightly different. Like my a good friend of mine, Anders, like he and I talk about this shit all the time and he, he comes at it from more of like a, a a chaos magic, like a goetic magic, you know, almost like an Abrahamic demonology like realm. And sometimes it's hard for us to communicate because like the words he's using, like, well, that doesn't jibe with me. You know, I don't really know, you know, I'm not trying to contact demons or anything, but it's just a word. You know, we're talking about tapping into this consciousness and understanding these patterns. And like for him, you know, he's Scandinavian, so he uses a lot of rune magic. And, and you know, runes are basically just written down sacred geometry noticed in trees and for me it's more of a you know a native native american slash buddhist you know philosophy and so i get into that you know 
yeah, and then I also I come from a science background too. I've always been a hardcore scientist, so I've I've adopted a lot of you know like I said operating system earlier. I use a lot of you know computer theory and physics terminology, but it's all just semantics. It's all just words. We're all describing the same thing, and it's important to kind of find what works for you and use it as a tool to gain those access points, and then realize that people use other words or other tools are still talking about the same thing, but um. Yeah, we all we're all we're all doing the same. They're all on the same path, man. Seeking, learning, and uh, and kind of uh, I don't know. It's it's tough getting into these spots of of nonverbal understanding and trying to put it into words, you know. Seriously, and that that really, I think what you're talking about really brings up like religion. Like we got to go there a little bit, and I think for me is like you look at. Uh, yeah, like Supernatural from Graham Hancock. You look at, um, I'm trying to think the exact title of this book, but I think it's like the Gospel of Mushrooms or Gospel of Psilocybin uh, that talks about a lot the, the the psychedelic use of mushrooms in the Christian, uh, ancient Christian traditions. And then you look at like India and why the cow is sacred and all the psilocybin mushrooms that come out of the feces of the cow. And that's why they love them so much, right? And, you know, and then you look at the, the ayahuasca shamans in the uh, South America and the peyote and the, the psilocybin in North America. And it's like all those traditions, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Christian or Islamic or Hindu or native American, they're really either using psychedelics or meditation or using, doesn't matter which vector, but they're talking about the same exact thing. And I think that's, that's a huge understanding to have for world peace, right? That we're really talking about some higher power. But like you said, it's this cultural lens or this, uh, you know, lens of our bringing up or our beliefs or our emotions really like that, that frames that higher power. And what does that look like to each individual, each culture? Like it's all so different, but it's really the flipping same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter what you call it. Does it, you know, and, and it's hard because, you know, for me, like I was raised, you know, agnostic, basically in a vacuum, but, you know, I mean, you and I back in the day used to be pretty aggressive atheists. I mean, I remember, you know, there's a time it's not too proud where there was some Mormons coming to your door and we put up a sign that said basically that we're devil worshipers. So they wouldn't knock on the door. And, uh, it took me a long time to, to kind of let go and to be honest it took psychedelics for me to understand that for one i don't know what the hell's going on two uh you know we're 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 talking about the same shit we're just using different words you know and um yeah i think for understanding of people and world peace and different cross-cultural understanding is you know not a lot of people agree and there's people that probably would be upset about this but yeah i mean if you look into the like the origins of almost any religion it typically comes down to entering trance states and interpreting the wisdom within be it like you said psilocybin uh you know mushroom you know mushrooms uh i I, iboga in africa or dancing and drumming i mean a lot of the plains tribes didn't have access to in north america to to psychedelics and they would they would drum and dance for 36 hours at a time until they entered a trance state you know same with the, the sand bush people in africa like there's infinite ways to get there. There's infinite ways to describe what you're seeing and what's happening. But I mean, we're all just talking about 
the understanding that our physical corporeal understanding of everyday life is just a lens it's just it's, it's kind of a film on top of the actual reality and i think the more you can understand and kind of see the truth in other people's beliefs it's easier to kind of hone your own right and you know i think one of the people that's at the forefront of this right now is is paul stamets and uh, you know, I think his new documentary is is just amazing. Like you gotta you gotta check it out, man. And and I think the biggest thing that he comes out publicly and says, like he said on the Joe Rogan podcast, you've heard him talk about it here and there, but he really publicly and comes out and says the access, the reason, the the drive behind this came from psychedelic mushrooms. And we'll get into what his mission is here in a second, but the drive is from psychedelics basically because the mushrooms talked to him and showed him that we have a consciousness and we can save your planet and here's how, right? And now he's like the world's most famous mycologist that is literally, you know, he has defense department contracts. He has patents on like smallpox vaccines on, you know, he's got cures for bee colony collapse for, um, cleaning up oil spills and radiation, he can use mushrooms. I mean, there's infinite possibilities with mushrooms, not let alone the the human um, immune system boosting, all sorts of herbal remedies that he's got out there now with with the mushrooms. It's it's absolutely unbelievable what that man is doing. It's like if anybody's going to save the planet, it's going to be him. Like seriously, that's that's my belief. And like I just I just that's the forefront of psychedelics. And I think to transition a little bit, like let's get practical. Like what can we do with mushrooms? What can we do with psychedelics? And you look at, you know, Denver legalized, you know, or decriminalized psilocybin. Uh, I think there's a couple other cities going out there, uh, a couple other countries doing it as well. And it's like, then you look at the FDA and kind of the studies with maps and doing like um, veteran treatments for PTSD with psilocybin and MDMA and like, the, there's a big push for this alternative, you know, uh, therapy during a psychedelic trip, basically. Um, the, the exact term is, is, uh, getting away from me right now, but really using those psychedelics to put you in a trance state and then going deeper with a therapeutic, you know, conversation, um, all those things, like they're really like pushing the boundaries of science right now and like practicality and, and, I think it just comes all the way back to like the sleep chambers in ancient Egypt and the, the sleep chambers in ancient Greece. And, you know, all those things that were used in ancient times, like they're coming up right now. And it's like, it's so exciting to be alive because of all that. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, you know, that it, it took us this long to get back to where we came from, you know. Uh, you know, we had one hell of a ride when it came to demonizing, you know, these practices and these traditions and and these substances, of course. And but, you know, better late than never. And it is it is really amazing to see, you know, in our lifetimes all across our country and the world that people are finally, you know, acknowledging realizing remembering you know because these things are being done you know substances are being studied you know in the 60s and 70s and 50s and, and then of course you know all throughout human history but it's um that just goes to show you that it's undeniable it's undeniable that 
psychedelics work as as medicine as they always have been and i think that you know some of it in in the de- you know in the demonizing and criminalizing of of psychedelics is where you had a lot of the misuse and the misunderstanding and the bad trips because you know kids like us who didn't know what the fuck we were doing didn't know didn't have the appropriate context for for what we were experiencing and how to utilize it we're just trying to you know to tune out and just to kind of have a good time or whatever and and it really is it's it's powerful powerful medicine it's powerful shit like it's not to be trifled with you 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 know you can't have a bad time people can can hurt themselves you know it's not and it's not for everybody even that's the other thing i've started to realize too is there's certain people out there with underlying neurological conditions that you know can probably have a, a trigger an episode you know if you have underlying programming in your brain for schizophrenia and you, you have a bad trip that could that could be a problem and so it is really important that honesty and truth is the fundamental basis for all this is we have to be honest with ourselves and our in our society and telling people that it's bad for you is insane it's one of the most amazing things for most people but it's also you know important to acknowledge this not for everybody and it should you know the more we can you know study it with an open heart and open mind and set up facilities where people can go and like you said the stuff that maps is doing and all those organizations to you know to do it in a clinical setting is is amazing uh you know, again, that's not for everybody either. Like to me, the idea of tripping in uh, in a hospital with a psychologist sounds horrifying. Um, but maybe it's horrifying for a reason that I need to explore. You know, maybe that would be good for me. Um, but you know, like the shamanic tradition is, you had you had a, a you had a the wise person of your community who's been down that path and was shown that path from other people in their community before them. And so there's a context, there was an understanding of what you were doing, why you were doing it and what was going to happen. And you were, you know, if you had an aptitude for those sort of experiences, you would be gravitating towards the shaman of your community and they would gravitate towards you and they would help guide you. So I think a lot of the problems we've seen in the past is just people without any context or understanding what they're doing, just, hucking themselves into the void you know like all the youtube videos of teenagers smoking salvia because i think it's legal weed when they have no idea that they're literally about to crack open their entire psyche and soul and spirit and be ejected into the void uh that can be a bit traumatic man (laughs) so if you had someone say hey man this is what salvia is this is what we're gonna do this is why we're gonna do it uh it can help you navigate those waters a little better Right. And I think that really brings up like the first step is like preparation and preparing yourself with, you know, meditation and mindfulness and and then the context of like, you know, and I think the biggest eye opener for me that that took me a while to understand is that, you know, psilocybin or ayahuasca or whatever the choice is, you know, yes, that opens the door, opens the window. Um but like in South America with the, with the shamans down there, it's not so much the plant medicine, it's the music. The music is the most important part of their tradition. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand that those shamans and the singing and the chanting, like they're literally guiding you with vibrations and song and, and dance through this. Like, you know, this is a very dangerous realm. Like you said, like you can, 
you can come back with entities attached to you. You can come back with schizophrenia or things like that. Like that stuff is possible for a small population. And, and those songs are what guides you and having that wise person, having that psychologist, having those people that are understanding what's really happening. And, and I think, like you said, like tripping a hospital, that sounds terrible. I totally agree with that. But I also think that these, the people that are going into this are also studying with shamans, right? So it's psychology and shamanism mixing, and it's like really exciting, right? But I want to get back to, to, I think, you know, preparation and your context and your setting and really your protection. Like all of those things are so powerful and important for, for, journeying you know if it's meditation dancing psychedelics like when you're journeying you gotta do those things right yeah yeah man it uh and like you you said earlier you know you're you're thinking you might want to get back into psychedelics but you're like you set a timeline of like maybe in five years when i'm ready you know and that's important is i've had a similar thing where you know we we kind of threw ourselves off the deep end as kids and it was important and we learned a lot but you know, I went, I went probably 10 years without doing psychedelics. And I, I had a trip last year. Um, it was probably my first trip in probably seven or eight years easily. Um, because I knew that I hadn't been doing any work on myself. I just kind of, and it was, you know, I'm not, not to beat myself up. It was necessary. I was, you know, building a family and buying a house, you know, so I was, I was, I needed to stay grounded in the day-to-day grind, the hustle, and do that and it was you know not necessarily it it could have been you could argue that it would have been beneficial to do have a spiritual practice throughout all that but you know i just found myself that wasn't the case and it was fine i let it let that go and and when i was ready i went back into it and but yeah it is very important i mean again going back to the shamans in south america like the people that guide you through the ayahuasca journeys they literally have before they will take you into the DMT realm, they have a strict protocol of diet, exercise. They don't drink caffeine. They don't drink alcohol. They have very strict protocols for their own personal health, physical health, along with mental health before they're taking people into that space. Because the more prepared you are, and you could, you don't have to be that dedicated to do mushrooms, but the more work you put in, the more you're going to gain out on the other end. And just real quick, back onto the music, it is like it's like an operating system—not operation, but like a—it's like a like a software. You know, I I recently had a, a DMT trip, um, where I, I had gotten some DMT and I had smoked it, and I was in the woods and I was kind of meditating, and it was it was interesting, um, but it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of alien and foreign and uncomfortable and then i put my headphones on and put on a track from uh that uh album that you and i used to listen to back in the day wah uh savasana uh savasana sorry savasana by wah which i've tripped to before when we were kids and i've meditated to before it was familiar territory and it's a very very like grounding kind of hindu spiritual meditation music and it changed my entire experience like literally it was like someone changed the channel and it i just felt love and beauty and connection and all of a sudden i started gaining all of these downloads these lessons these understandings about my life 
whereas before I was just kind of wandering around in a jungle and then all of a sudden I put on a and I had a path pop up in front of me and it was taking me to glades and glens, you know, this is all metaphorically, but um, yeah, good music and the right type of kind of rhythmic chanting and understanding those patterns can help guide you. And same with breath work, doing breathing, you know, making sure you have a, a meditative kind of, you know, pregame, like, you know, like fighters before they go to the UFC, they have a camp where they, they train. I do think it's kind of important if you're going to really gain solid lifelong lessons out of psychedelics, you, you do that camp, you, you do breathing exercises and yoga and stretch and, and work on your diet before you get to that stage and then have an intention in a setting and I like I, idea for why you're doing it and what you hope to gain from it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you really hit it right there. It's like really having an intention of like, what am I going to work on? Like, it's not just a party thing. It's not just a, you know, whimsical. I think, oh yeah, there's some, there's some psilocybin in town. Let's try it. It's like, no, there needs to be like an intention and a practice and really it's pretty serious, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's a ceremonial setting. Like it really needs to be that. Otherwise you could hurt yourself. Right. And, and I truly believe that. And, and, uh, you know, the protection, like, I'm just curious on like, what are some things you've done for like protecting yourself energetically, you know, during these experiences or maybe just in regular everyday life? Uh, well, for me again, I, I, I'm a more, I don't know, I'm kind of a feral practitioner uh, compared to most people. I, I'm, I'm intuitive. I don't have a, a lot of quote unquote discipline. I mean, I do, but not in that sense. And I, so I, I'm very intuitive. I like to feel the moment and just kind of feel the energy around me and just learn to pay attention to that gut, that gut reaction, you know? Um, and just when you're not in a good space, don't, don't dive in. But, but more specifically than that, I, for me, breathing, breathing is literally the most important thing energetically. I think anybody can do ever for anything. Like I honestly believe that man, you know, just centering on your breath, taking deep breath and clearing out the bullshit of your mind. But more importantly, you're oxygenating your body and you are like strengthening yourself and you are getting ready for not necessarily battle, but getting ready for battle, you know? And like, and so breathing exercises for me are, are number one. And then I think just having, having a, having a place, having a, a thing in your mind is kind of an anchor. Um, and just knowing what anchors you, you know, and, and for me, that's, I'm anchored by the forest. And so anytime I'm in a compromising position emotionally, like being in the woods helps me a lot. So it's important to know that about yourself, know what is going to help you and then make sure you trip in those places. But then again, that's not always the case. I went for a backpacking trip years ago um, and thinking I was going to break my psychedelic fast, if you will. And I hadn't done it in years, and I bushwhacked into an unfamiliar old growth forest in the North Cascades, and uh, was going to go real deep and have you know had this idea for contacting the forest spirits, and and I, I was out there with the mushrooms in hand, and I just I what didn't feel right. I didn't feel I didn't feel grounded, didn't feel connected. I felt like I'm I was that rude asshole that barges into somebody else's party, and it's just like you know. 
hey, what are we doing? What's going on, guys? You know, I didn't know the, I didn't know that forest. I didn't have any, I didn't have any connection to that specific forest, and I felt like it wasn't ominous, but I just feel like ah, this is probably not a good idea, you know. So I didn't do it. I just I backed off. Um, and then, of course, it is important, you know, even for me as a kind of a feral operator, that to have some sort of ritual protocol of any kind that it helps ground you, helps center you. Like for me, it's like the practice of sitting in a certain position and breathing or, or even, you know, my family's Chumash, my step family. And so I grew up, you know, with sage, you know, abalone shell and white sage is their cultural tradition of protection. And so I was raised with that. And so there's a part of my brain that as soon as I pull out that sage and I smell the sage and I, and I smudge myself and I thank the four corners and the earth and the stars, I feel protected. And there's a lot of that. It's kind of almost like a, you can call it placebo, you can call it whatever you want. If you feel protection, that is protection. I mean, that's all there is to it. You know, you're talking about psychic protection. So if you feel like you are protected, then you are going to be protecting yourself ultimately. Oh man, that's so awesome. Yeah. And I love saging too. I've really, you know, I've uh, actually been to a sweat lodge a couple of times here in Montana with, with some, uh, blackfoot practitioners and it's just the sweat lodge is so beautiful and like like you said the first thing is like you got to smudge yourself you got to sage and um you know i think something for me that i use a lot and i actually made a, made a meditation for anybody to listen to um it's called the protection meditation and and my mentor one of my uh, teachers taught me this and just like you, Johnny, I've been a feral practitioner my entire life. So it's really interesting to actually start having a spiritual mentor and a spiritual coach. And it's just like, oh, wow, like everything I've been doing, like intuitively is like pretty right on, but there's some things that I could do better. Right. And, and I was getting, I feel like my spiritual practice was getting strong enough that I had to get a mentor because there was things happening to me that I needed to really protect myself from. And so my mentor taught me this of like, you know, having this, uh, uh, basically this white cord from your perineum. And if people don't know where that is, it's kind of like between your genitals and your anus, right? Like this really powerful energy center. So this white cord comes down, um, and goes through the crust of the earth and all the way down to the center of the earth. And then you center, you center this cord and then you, you see your name written on this cord and that really like anchors you to like the earth spirit then you bring that all that energy from that earth spirit like up into your body and all the way up to your chakras and all the way out of your head and then like way way up all seven chakras above your head and into like the stars or um you know father sky or however you want to call it or the higher power and then you take that light and you bring that down into your body and you mix it and you mix you know mother earth father sky and you fill your whole body with this loving, like dual white light that is so flipping powerful. And like, it's unbelievable, man. Like how much, like there's so much weight lifted off you and, and negative emotions. And, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things attached to us, you know, that, that this protection really lets you just drop off. And it's like, I've had a lot of clients tell me like that, that meditation particularly is like, what the fuck is happening? Like I went from like feeling so terrible to like, I literally feel lighter. And it's like, because you are like, there's literally things dropping off of you. And I try not to talk about those things very often because like a lot of people can't handle that 
deep of shamanic practice, but there's like, there's things that attach to you and they're not bad. They're just, they're not love. Right. And, uh, that's my protection. And I use it all the time, like before a call or before a client or, um, you know, gosh, yeah. Anytime you're interacting with people because their emotions, their vibrations, like they stick to you. Right. But if we have that protection, it's like, no, man, that's your energy. And this is mine. And like, I think that's like the most important practice I have found in, in all of this spiritual stuff is that right there. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful, man. And, uh, you know, to be honest, one of the reasons why I kind of, I feel like, again, I'm, it's hard to say for sure, but part of it's just momentum and, and getting into certain patterns. But part of the reason why I stopped doing psychedelics and kind of stopped having any sort of spiritual practices at all is because I think I, I felt I was coming to a certain stage in my development where I was getting deep enough to where I could kind of intuitively feel I was now susceptible to, you know, to whatever, who knows? I mean, I, I don't, I'm fairly, I'm still fairly agnostic. And so I don't like to label things too much because I have no idea the, the reality of what's happening, but I kind of intuitively felt that I was getting deep enough where I need to start being more cautious. I couldn't just haphazardly, throw myself into the void and expect it to be hunky dory, you know? And so I kind of just backed off for a while and then never really got back into it. But one thing I'm starting to kind of realize, and as I kind of ramp back up over the last couple of years and try to get back into a practice is that, um, you know, it is very important to know that there is danger, but then also to know that in the end, it's going to be okay. Like for me, one of my, again, like you're saying, like, what is my kind of one of my protections is Zen. Like for me, and again, this is my kind of interpretation of it. You know, who knows if other people think of it differently or have different words for what I'm about to say, but the understanding that I am a part of everything and everything is a part of me and that things are going to be how they're going to be. And it's all going to be okay. No matter what, like, let in, you know, it's kind of that Buddhist philosophy of letting go of desire, the desire to not feel pain or desire to not die or the desire to, you know, if you just kind of let that go and just be in the moment and just be thankful for your existence, you exist, you're here, you're about to experience something, you know, you're experiencing things all the time, but just kind of, again, taking those breathing exercises and sitting into the Zen of like, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Like it's all going to be okay, no matter what, even if it's not okay, that's going to be okay too. Like, and so for me, that's one of my greatest like moments of feeling safe is realizing that even if safety is an illusion, that's okay too. It's all going to be okay. But more specifically, I do think it is important, you know, cause you'd rather not experience the negative sides of these experiences. So yeah, I do think it is important to have a practice, um, you know, and it kind of reminds me of like the Wim Hof method, you know, where we're now learning even from a scientific principle that our consciousness has a physical effect on the body and it might not even necessarily be that important about what your mental practice is to set up those protections but just by the act of having anything if you can convince yourself that you are protected you are protected you know and like one of the things again when my i like to kind of come up with 
I probably should do a little more work and see what other people are doing and try to see what works for me. But I concocted years ago, part of the reason why I center my breathing is I imagine that I have a dragon living in my chest. I, you know, I've been, I've been obsessed with dragons my whole life and I just see them as they've always been kind of like an anchor, a spiritual anchor for me. So I imagine when I'm in those meditative Zen breathing states that I have a dragon living in my chest and that every time I exhale, I imagine the dragon's fire spreading throughout my entire body on every exhale. And then I breathe in fresh new energy and fresh new life and fresh new chi and then exhale and the fire burns out anything in my body, in my being that isn't supposed to be there. Just kind of like, you know, just cinders everything burns everything that's not supposed to but it's a fire that is of me so can't hurt me so anything that's being burnt isn't supposed to be there you know and um and that's just kind of something i made up on my own but it it feels right to me and i think that just by the fact that it feels right to me means it's protection oh man that is that is like the perfect practice that's exactly the idea of a protection practice like that's amazing that that just like intuitively came to you. And I think that's why me and you like, like not to like brag, but me and you are like, I think we've, we've learned a lot just through our own experiences, which is really cool because I think a lot of people just hitchhike on a Zen or other parts of Buddhism or Taoism. It's just like, no, man, we just went in the fucking woods, bro. That's, that's what we did. And, and um, you know, I really want to get back to this Wim Hof idea of like controlling your body and I'll, I want to tell this story because it's it's just really crazy. So I had uh, I was working on this book that I'm publishing right now, and there's this meditation I wanted to do. Um, so I was like, I wrote it up, and I you know read it a couple times, and I had the the basics down. And basically, um, oh let's see, I'm trying to figure if I should really say this like to everybody because it's like so powerful. Um, Okay, so so I had this meditation where I imagined I was in the mountains and I was meditating and I became one with like the trees and the forest and I was I was the forest and you know with my background a while in firefighting it was like the next stage of this meditation was basically there was a lightning strike and now there's a fire and like the whole landscape gets burned up and there's this crazy chaos and fire and everything's burned to a crisp. But then it's like my body's still there in the soil. And it's like, now there's like green punching up and now there's like cleansing and like re re, you know, re becoming a new person. Right. Re like, like, how do you explain it? Like really just rearranging my entire body, like from a physical, like mental, emotional, spiritual, like quantum mechanics way. And, and I did this, actually, I did this test, right? This test meditation in a float tank. And when I came out of it, it was just like, it was, I felt so incredibly amazing. Like I felt so good, but you know what? Like two days later, I was so sick. Like I was literally, I had to go to the ER. The doctors had no idea what was going on with me. And basically my entire lymph node system was like swollen and just like draining. And, and my spiritual mentor was like, no, like that, that literally the intention of that meditation was to detox your body. And that's exactly what's happening. Like you're going to be sick for like 10 to 12 days. 
And sure enough, like I was like, I felt deathly ill for, for two weeks almost because of this meditation. And so like, that's how powerful our freaking mind is, right? Yeah, man. And it brings up a very important point. Something I talked about with my buddy Andres all the time. Like, you know, he, again, he's in a, he's in a different path than me, but you know, again, same, we're talking about basically the same stuff, but, um, he, when you're getting to that point in a practice where you are starting to have that level of control over your body and the world around you, and you start trying to manipulate the body or the world around you in ways that you don't quite understand, it's kind of, it, you gotta be careful. You know, he had, he had, uh, you know, he had done some, he had started learning how to do certain types of magic and was doing spells on himself that he didn't quite understand. And he's, he's one of us, you know, he's kind of an intuitive feral. He's a, you know, he's, he's got like a kind of a really out there psych rock band, um, shout out to Queen Sun. Um, uh, and he, he did a spell, man. And like, I don't want to get into too details. I want to put his shit on blast, but, uh, he wanted to try to like, he was getting into his album, try, I'm gonna try something, you know? which is how I, how I operate, you know, I learned something like, oh, let's, let's, okay, I've done some studying. I'm going to give it a try. I'll see how this works. And, and it got real intense, man. He kind of like, he got close to derailing his life. <laughs> like, and again, I'm not going to get into his details. I want, I want him to, you know, have his own story and not to put his bias. Plus I don't exactly know. He can explain it to me all he wants, but I can't fully understand what was going on in his life. But he, he had that luckily he got yeah, he got pretty lucky and he realized like okay i need to do way more studying i need to be way more grounded i need to work on my protection and my foundations but yeah man when you really start getting intentional like because our consciousness can and does affect our body and most likely all of existence i mean when you really want to get into it there's possibilities that your consciousness can not only affect your own physical body, but everything that exists. So you kind of have to be mindful about how you go about these practices. Um, it's one of the reasons why I kind of, I kind of just stick to some pretty light work, but when you do have mentors and you do have a rigid practice, um, you can start to really get into some interesting waters and really work on yourself and, 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 um, but yeah, it is important to kind of realize how powerful that is. And even just, you know, and it's not woo, man. I mean, Wim Hof, like you said, back to Wim Hof, he's studying it. They're studying it in universities. It's real. Like, you know, people have dismissed the placebo effect as bullshit or just like, you know, you're tricking yourself. It's like, no, you're tricking yourself into reality changing the shit. So how is that a trick? Like, you know, to me, it gets back to, um, I always had this thought, you know, and the skeptical part of my brain because there's there's a lot of skepticism in me um that you know i've spent there was times when i was younger where i would try to like manipulate the weather you know i would do these deep meditative practices and when i was living in the mountains and make it snow and one time it worked you know part of me is like well that's just bullshit it's just, you just got lucky it was coincidence I'm like well what does that mean if i had the intention of making it snow and i had a rigorous practice that i've been working on for years and then I did that practice and it started snowing. What does that mean? What is a coincidence really? You know, if I'm learning to shoot archery and I put point a bow at a target and then I can't hit it. And then years later I hit it finally, but I only hit it one out of 10 times. That's not a coincidence. I'm learning how to hit that target. And so the fact that 
we can control our body with our mind is becoming science, known science. So I think it's time that we have to really start taking that seriously and utilizing it on a daily basis. Yeah, man, that's so crazy what Wim Hof is doing with actual science. Like, it's it's unbelievable. Basically, he's taking a lot of the yogic traditions and, and studying it in his own, like, you know, he's offshoot and kind of created his own thing, but it's like, it's really at the base of it, it's yogic breathing, right? And it's, he's proving scientifically without a doubt that you can go entire into your body and change it. And I think that is a really powerful segue into like Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and like his story. And, and just for anybody that doesn't know him, like basically he got hit by a car on a bicycle, totally smashed up. I mean, just destroyed. And in the hospital, his, his, um, his spine was shattered. Right. And the doctor said, you know, the only solution is if we put a rod like down your entire spine basically and he said no flipping way am i doing that because he was a chiropractor right and uh he sat there in his hospital bed and he focused his mind like a jigsaw puzzle and put his spine back together and he walked out of the hospital like five weeks later and that is just that started him on this journey of like what the hell happened what did i just do for one what happened to me and can you do this again? And now where he's at is like, he's proving with science that he does all these workshops of like, of um, really deep, deep meditation and, and guiding people into these mystical experiences that are exactly what we're talking about with psilocybin, ayahuasca, meditation, dancing, right? It's all the same thing in his context is just like, you know, all these brain sensors and getting these people, in these mystical states that are um, a lot of these people have like, terminal cancer right or they're really sick or they have an ailment of some sort and they go through these mystical states and they literally come out of it completely healed and that sounds insane but these people go back home and they get scans and their tumors are gone and like there's scientific proof that this is happening to people and not just once but like now it's like hundreds of times maybe even thousands of times and Dr. Joe's work of actually doing the brain scans during these mystical states are showing that the brain is literally firing every delta, gamma, beta, alpha, every possible wave you can fire and all the activity of your entire brain is like firing all at once for like five minutes. Like that's what's happening in the brain. Like how insane is that? And that heals your body? Like we need to study that more like, cause that is, that is insane. And like, I just, I love Dr. Joe Dispenza's work because it's, it's, it's really cutting edge of like Wim Hof, Dr. Joe Dispenza, like those two people are changing, like literally they're changing textbooks right now. Mm, man, it's so powerful. And it's like you said, it's kind of, you know, your gut reaction and the way we're raised in our society is that sounds like bullshit, but the reality is, not about not one of us has an actual clue what the hell is going on in reality and we all have bits and pieces of the puzzle but i think it's so important one of the most important things that i try to do in my daily life is have this overlapping uh, it's hard to explain man like most things that we talk about but 
it's important to be skeptical. It's important to question reality and to not just take everything at face value. But it's also important to have an open mind. You have to maintain that balance, like, in, in all things at all times. You have to, when you hear stuff like this, you don't know if it's possible or not possible. You don't, nobody knows the fundamental nature of reality and what's capable, you know, because there's theories in physics that, all of existence is consciousness. So therefore it's totally possible that your consciousness can fix your body, um, even to that degree. But I just, I see a lot around me where people either they're searching and then they find an answer and they hold on to that answer and they ignore other answers or they ignore the possibility that that answer is not real. Um, I think it's ultimately so important to have an open mind to all things and realize that we don't know what's going on and to be open-minded and be open-minded to any possible solutions for what's ailing us or what's ailing our society. And, but then not hold that belief so firmly that you can't let go if it turns out to not be the case. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's skepticism with an open mind, remain, remain skeptical, search for yourself, do the work. You know, if you don't believe it, get into meditative practices, start trying to fix your body with your mind. You're going to have an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, the skepticism is important, but not so much that it's dogmatic skepticism and same with belief. Belief is important, but not so much that it's dogmatic belief. You have to find that balance and, and have room for any possibility. And I think that's kind of, you know, you have to, like what Wim Hof's proving is you kind of have to believe, but not as necessarily wholeheartedly. You could do those breathing exercises and not believe and probably still have benefits. So it's just, man, life's crazy. You got to, you got to get out there and just experience it. I don't know. Kind of lost my train of thought there. Happens. Oh yeah, it happens all the time, man. When we go this <laughs> flipping deep at the foundation of reality, like yeah, holy yeah. crap, man! What a conversation we've had. Like I, I, I think we're hitting time, and and uh, I just want to open it up to you to see if you have any last thoughts. Um, I don't know, man. I think that kind of was my last thought. Uh, I guess my last thought is to tell people to say no to dogma. Remain, leave your heart open and have a skepticism, but just don't go too hard into one direction. And Love breathe. it, man. And well, breathe. Don't forget to breathe. Always breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Always breathe. You know, man, if you like just check in with yourself sometimes, like it's just like, shit, I'm not like breathing. My chest is stuck. <laughs> My shoulders are all up. It's like, I look all crazy. It's like, just breathe. Yep. And then it's like, oh, your whole physiology literally like changes instantly when you breathe. It's so amazing. Like breath is everything. And and I'll end on I think the most important thing is breath. And and I think part of it is that there's a lot of DMT release in your lungs, which is really interesting that that's like how that correlates with like mystical experiences and ancient traditions and um, all sorts of the scientific research about DMT, like Rick Strassman and all that stuff. It's like, there's something there that we got, we just got to do more research on DMT and that molecule and spirituality and, and quantum mechanics and consciousness. God, it's, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. Like there's so much there to learn. And, um, really thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Johnny. And this is amazing. We got to get you back on because every conversation we have, like people love this. So 
Always been uh, Yeah, yeah. Please come back. We'll have you on again. And um, stay safe out there, everybody. Stay safe in, in Washington out there, Johnny. And um, yeah, just go find your sacred ancestry. And the best place to do it is in the woods, I promise. Mm-hmm. So uh, stay safe. Love you all. And we'll talk to you soon.